if you look at that, that period um, right before Coolidge and in the years of Coolidge, perhaps Hoover, do you see this as a response to the um, progressive, quote-unquote, progressive years of, of a Wilson who hated business with a passion, hated the wealthy uh, with all that he brought to the table? Is this, this, this period a reaction to all of this? Well, yeah, the GOP, the, remember, the progressives were also in the Republican Party. In fact, they split off La Follette in 1924. He was the traditional GOP Coolidge. Um, and I think you want to distinguish very carefully when you look at his treatment of various ethnicities, um, whether Coolidge is responding to a lobby or an individual. And you see this with African-Americans. African-American group goes, he didn't really like groups. He liked individuals. Why? Because he didn't want to give too much power to lobbies. That didn't mean he didn't care about individuals who belonged to ethnic groups represented by lobbies. That's a very, very familiar type of person to this day. And I have a lot of sympathy for that kind of person. Because what is a lobbyist really? He's someone who's pretending to represent a group and may represent 80% of that group and leave 20% out, the forgotten man phrase that uh, was so common then. So Coolidge wasn't always loving to every ambassadorial lobby group that showed up at the White House. Because he also, if you look at the White House calendar, you'll see the, the absolute onslaught of visitors at the White House and just the sheer thought of handling them. Um, but he did a number of things that helped all Americans, including Jews. For um, the, another example there would be um, Native Americans who had many grievances in the 20s. Coolidge wasn't particularly receptive to the lobby of what would become the reservations or the sovereign Native American nations. He didn't even think there should be Native American sovereignty particularly. I, I'm not, I don't have a doctoral dissertation on that. So maybe someone can, can elaborate uh, and make the point more, more precisely than I, but he did believe that Native Americans should be equal to other citizens when possible, and therefore signed a law making Native Americans U.S. citizens, which all weren't. So at, at, at that time, that's Coolidge. He, he, he believed in um, assimilation or what they would call Americanization. Mm -hmm. um, he believed in property rights. He deeply respected ethnicity. He probably would have been extremely opposed to bilingual ed, though, in the United States, because it strengthens a lobby. And in the public, on the public square, we should all walk equal uh, in our private homes. We worship as we worship or speak as we speak. Um, it's, and, and that sometimes interpreted as, I don't know, xenophobia or anti-Semitism. I don't, I don't see a lot of that in Coolidge. It was just another interpretation of the United States. And, and it, it, his main accomplishments as president, the main accomplishment domestically and the main accomplishment in foreign policy? Well, in foreign policy, um, it'll be interesting to see. He 
his main accomplishment in so far as he was able was to send a signal that America was for the rule of law. I, I don't, I, I, I don't even know how to rate him in foreign policy. I'll just say that, frankly. I looked at him mainly economically. He, d- he signed the Kellogg-Briand Pact, banning war, which is regarded today as an object that to be mocked. But it's also enjoying a renaissance because what it is is a legal attempt um, to get nations to agree through legal avenues to resolve conflict without going to war. Okay, it was less less intrusive and had fewer of the sovereignty issues in Coolidge's view than the League of Nations, which had been rejected. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, he did have gunboat wars, Nicaragua, uh, Mexico, um, and I'm not sure they were handled that well, but many of them were legacy conflicts from a more um, big stick Theodore Roosevelt uh, culture that proceeded before him. So he, Coolidge was cleaning up. He, I think his contribution on foreign policy, frankly, is to make the U.S. a model, city on a hill. He really believed that. You know, if we're a model, that will help other nations to change and become republics, democracy as well. And that argument is a serious argument. It's not a joke. Um, On the domestic side, where he focused most of his energy was the health of the city on a hill economically. So... The war involved a huge government expansion. There was a depression in the early 20s. That's actually the depression that F. Scott Fitzgerald is describing in Great Gatsby, the early 20s. It was a severe depression. Um, Coolidge and Harding, who he came to Washington with, said, we got to focus on making, enabling the economy to grow. They didn't say harness the economy. Harness is a little strong. So enabling the economy to grow. The the famous Coolidge line is the chief business of the American people is business. That is where we're going to get benefits. It will be mostly from the private sector. So they pulled the tax rate down Thatcher wise or or Reagan wise only more dramatically than Reagan, at least. Um, Top tax rate was over 50%, very European level, down to top marginal rate of 25% for the income tax. And very important, too, um, for the U.S. uh, international rank as an economy was they pulled the capital gains tax rate down to 12.5%. Capital gains matters a lot. So it's corporate tax, as you can see from the discussion this year. So they made it clear that the cap gains rate was 12.5. In economic theory, optimally, it would be even lower. But the very fact that they said cap gains, let it be 12.5, was was a good thing for U.S. markets and contributed to the market increases of of that period, stock market increases. That was quite an an achievement, and it played out in benefits to average Americans. Um, People got cars. The model... T and then the Model A, which came in later, we got um, what's the difference between terrible poverty and being working poor? I think all of us agree it's in- indoor plumbing. That was the decade in which the U.S. more predominantly got indoor plumbing. I rest my case. He was a good president. Um, but we also got electricity, very important for the home, uh, cut the person at home's work in half overnight. And we got Saturday off because the U.S. worked on Saturday, sometimes only in the morning, uh, 
more or less until the 20s when we began to have both Saturday and Sunday off. A very important thing, by the way, for Jewish people, because you no longer had a conflict about going to work. Uh, very, very, very important. Absolutely. I mean, you remember the whole discussion in the United States of having Shabbat on Sunday? Absolutely. We say how Absolutely. weird, but but if your employer needs you Saturday, that's just a terrible conflict. And in those days, the employer did because of the productivity gains of the 20s. And we could thank Henry Ford in part for that. We did get the whole country Saturday off, more or less. And that uh, made it gave everyone a wonderful pair of days to do with as he wished. So you, you, You've described the Coolidge, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, who really didn't look at classes and groups by religion or even perhaps by race, though that might have been different, um, but looked at people as individuals. So if, mostly, mostly, he's not perfect. Right. So if, if, if nobody's perfect, but he's mostly. Okay. So if we look at his overall attitude and policies towards the Jewish people, how would, how would you frame that? We have, you know, Henry Ford, who's brought all the progress, but whose anti-Semitism is, is um, poisonous. It's, it's widespread and it's poisonous. You have immigration laws that might not favor um, certain uh, ethnic groups as well. And, and on the other hand, you have his strong statements um, on Palestine, a speech that he gave to the Jewish Community Center. How do you frame it? How do you balance these, these different- I think you just judge people in their era, right? You don't judge them by your own era because the way they all talked in that period was different to the way we speak. I, I, um, I'm not so concerned about Henry Ford. As I say, there was the bonus he didn't think of probably, but that he gave Saturday, uh, took the lead on that. Um, the immigration law, the Johnson Reed Act, did make it much tougher for East Europeans to come to the United States. So if you hadn't come over before the law, 1924 law, well, it was harder in the 20s and the 30s. And, and we know what the 30s were like, and we have relations who were stuck in Europe. Coolidge, uh, that law was very popular. It had Coolidge vetoed it. He would have been overridden. If you go back and look, it's hard to find congressmen who did not support it. Um, the sense of was the United States is full. That there's nothing wrong with the United States is full as a concept. Um, in Coolidge's case, I don't think his signing of that law was anti-Semitic or even anti-East European. Um, he just signed it because he did believe maybe the United States need to a period to absorb the immigration it had received. Immigration, foreign born as a share of overall population in that period, and now you're taxing my memory. But anyway, it was high as it is today. But well, what's what's wrong with a pause? But he didn't go out of his way to make nasty statements about groups. In fact, he went to every group he could, even though he didn't like groups, to make it clear that he wasn't opposed to Italian Americans, Jewish Americans, Southern Greek Americans, you know, um, even though the immigration law had the effect 
of restraining immigration from where they came from. It was it was based on that law and the quotas in it were based on more of North Europe, right? And uh, so he that's what that's what he did. It, it's important to say that nobody who followed him changed that law enough, including Franklin Roosevelt. You know, presidents and Congress can change laws. So many presidents, several presidents later, and many terms later, came World War II. Uh, if you see it, you know, um, so I wouldn't hang it on Coolidge particularly. I would hang it on the mood in the United States in the 1920s. But he did believe in Americanism, which was more assimilation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he would have been, as I say, to use something we know about for federally funded or state funded bilingual ed. He would probably have been for school vouchers because he grew up with school vouchers and they have a proto voucher system in Vermont. And if you want to go to it was, um, you know, came in as he was a young adult came into. So towns will pay money to send kids to private school somewhere else on, on behalf of the family if the family opts to go to a school farther away, including a, a school of a different religious denomination. So, he, you know, he was more um, religion for the private sphere. What you're referring to in speeches, the one I actually like is his speech to Jewish philanthropists, which was a conference call. They had those, I guess, uh, just after the death of his son. Uh, so in 1924, um, and what he says to Jew, speech to Jewish philanthropists is hilarious. He says, um, you know, I, I don't feel like giving a speech. His son had just died. Um, but uh, he didn't say my son had just died, but that was the background. But when I saw you were interested in budgets, I, I came on the line because I like budgets. I dream about budgets. And I think you do, too, based on your plea to me to give to meet with you over the telephone line. And I like Jews or I like your people. And he said, why was that? Um, or I appreciate you. Um, because you take care of your own. That is Jewish hospitals, Jewish charities, da, 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 which were a very, very important um, part of Jewish life before the federal government had Medicare and Social Security, right? The Jewish community took care of its own. And he said in that, um, that that's very also New York, that's called... Um, you're familiar with the Stuyvesant Pledge? Okay, yes. Yeah, so so anyway, um, all the way along, Jews were suffered or allowed or well, suffered to or allowed or welcomed by New York, depending on the regime, um, on the condition they took care of their own community. That is, don't add to the social responsibilities of New York City, and that was the pledge made to Peter Stuyvesant, after whom the math-oriented high school is named. Stuyvesant Pledge, Coolidge didn't refer to it, but he said, I appreciate that you take care of your own because the burden of poverty is on is on all voters, right? Unless communities step up. So he respected communities for that. And he said, I want you to know, I feel you are making good citizens which I think is a wonderful thing to say to members of any group. You can imagine the Jewish community. I want you to know, I feel you are making good citizens and helping the United States. So he went out of his way. And there's another speech, which you just referred to, the laying of the stone at the Jewish center in D.C. And I, I think in that one, if, if not there or elsewhere, he, he talks about 
the Torah. He talks about the Bible as the basis of all our law. And he does that in order to show he appreciates serious Judaism. That he, there's that in common, that Protestants and Jews who are practicing have a lot in common. It, it, so that's his outreach. You can take it or leave it, right. but that's what it is. And, and very briefly, his, his attitude towards um, Zionism, homeland for the Jewish people. You know, I haven't studied that. You tell me. There's some uh, positives, right? I think so. I believe so. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish positive. I could say I knew more, but I didn't really, you know, I, 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 I'm remembering not big negatives, but I don't, okay. I mean, I wrote my book more than a decade ago. I should okay. go look it up. I, I'm, but he, he thought people, you know, that, um, anyway, you tell me, you tell us. Because you okay. know more than I do. Uh, I, I, I don't want to. Again, I'm not. I'm not a uh, expert in this at all. So I don't, don't want to. I'm going to punt on this one. But I will, uh, you know, research it further and and get back. I will reach. I will research it okay. further. He okay. he um, he generally believed, um, he, and he hoped that the U.S. would not be the only democracy in the world. And the only place people could go to, and the only place where there was was relative safety, and rule of law and commerce. So, so, so that's important. Um, I'm trying to think. He got along with Bernard Baruch, mm -hmm. the banker, right. uh, but I don't remember anything ha that having to do with Jewish or not. Right. Um, so, so that's where where I'd rest. Okay. Fine. We'll we'll we'll, we'll look into it much further. Um, just, just in conclusion, 2021, uh, statutes are being torn down, names are being taken off of buildings. What's your take, uh, you know, as it relates to Coolidge and what his legacy is from our perspective today? Well, with Coolidge's statues not being torn down, okay. that's as far as but I know as chairman of the Coolidge Foundation. Um, but that's because there aren't many of them because he didn't really like statues. He didn't really like idolatry. He didn't like Mount Rushmore. You can see it in his, his posture. He, he signed off on a subsidy for Mount Rushmore and that went against his whole being because he was a budgeteer. Um, it, uh, but uh, so, so, I think we should put up statues of Coolidge. It might, he, he was sanctimonious, no doubt about it. So he didn't want a statue, but he cut off his nose to spite his face because he warrants a statue since he was such a good restrained leader um, and uh, did fix up the U.S. budget, which will be necessary in coming years. So my general view on the statues is it's a pity because, uh, you know, if you go and if you don't see something, it's not just Santa Ana. You've got to know all the past in order not to replicate the past. If you're not familiar with the past, uh, the likelihood that you'll you'll commit infamy yourself is greater, not not less, in my view. You've got to know. I mean, I I've lived a lot in Germany, and there are plenty of every street has, a, you know, Prussians and Nazis on it, and I, I feel comforted having that close, so I can remember what happened in Germany 
I feel less comfortable in a blank space in Germany than I do in a historical place that includes all periods, including horrible moments. And I'm very impressed with the way Germany doesn't erase its past, but rather treats it. Uh, the same should be the U.S. So we can change our statues, but to take them all down like that is, is to make ourselves more vulnerable, not less. Um, this has been absolutely fascinating. Again, this is the autobiography of Calvin Coolidge with uh, Ms. Schlaze's comments and uh, edits. Um, highly recommended, as are all of her books. And I just thank you very, very much for your time. And I know it's very valuable and all the great work you do at the foundation. So uh, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Mr. Lieberman. You know, we do make the students read aloud Coolidge's speech to the Jewish charity. And I hope you, I, I hope you all have a look at it. Um, the, thank you.